Well, good morning, Grace family, and happy Resurrection Sunday, a day we celebrate as Christians that is the great validating work of God. The resurrection reveals the manifest power of God that made everything that Jesus was about real. What Easter means is that death does not have the final word. Jesus' resurrection is his no to the finality of death for all who put their trust in him. And his resurrection is his yes to a life lived in the presence of God now and after this life is over. And I think it's so important to remember that the resurrection is much more than just a historical event, but it's a reality that we live in every day. Someone put it this way, resurrection is not so much a noun, but a verb. And I like that. What that means is the resurrection is the source of the power you can experience in your own life here and now. And yes, it is true. We do have a glorious future hope because of the resurrection. But we also have the opportunity to see resurrection power brought to bear in our lives, in this life right now. And that's such an encouragement to me, to know that the stuff that we struggle with, the growth and breakthroughs that we want to see happen in our lives, that God's resurrection power can overcome all of those things. And that's such good news. And to know that our pursuits as followers of Christ are not about engaging in a religious performance, nor is it simply about believing the right doctrine or even doing some good deeds, but rather it's about pursuing a dynamic living relationship with Jesus. It's about living life with God. And as a pastor to this community, it gives me great encouragement to know that no one is beyond God's power, no circumstance out of his reach or too far gone, no sin beyond redemption, no addiction is beyond recovery, no broken relationship is beyond repair, no idolatry is beyond repentance. That we can experience resurrection peace and resurrection joy and have resurrection confidence and resurrection hope. Eugene Peterson speaks of it this way. It's the idea of practicing resurrection. He says, the practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, the Jesus life. And as a church family, we get to participate in that resurrection life together. You know, as you all know, our life together has been something that took a big hit this past year for many of us due to the pandemic. But, but this life of faith is not a solo project. Rather, it's a way of life that God designed to be lived in a context of deep, edifying connections with one another, a quality of fellowship with one another that is made possible by the grace of God. And that's why we call ourselves Grace Fellowship Church. So let's celebrate these great truths today. And let's just take a moment right now to offer this time to God in prayer as we prepare our hearts for what he has for us today. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, today of all days, we are keenly aware that we serve a risen Savior, and that is the best news in the world. And at the same time, 
I imagine we are also keenly aware of the untold diversity of our spiritual condition. Lord, you know this, but some of us are really struggling, and maybe it's an anxiousness or a feeling that is burdening us, a pressure in our lives in one form or another. Lord, if that's the case, would you give us peace? And Father, some of us are in a rut of bitterness or anger, discouraged with the state of our world, or maybe just disappointed with how life is going. Lord, would you impress upon our hearts a spirit of hope? And some of us are spiritually dry, Father, and not feeling the the presence and, and the power of God in our lives. So, Lord, we ask that you might bring new life and refreshment to our soul. And some of us, Father, are just distracted. It's just so many things playing on us, so many things vying for our attention and affections that we have little time for you. So, Lord, would you capture our attention and give us the discernment to choose wisely the things we give ourselves to? And some of us, Lord, we are so thrilled about this day that we celebrate today. It is real and vital and and vibrant in our lives, and we are filled with joy this Easter weekend as we reflect on your forgiveness and the hope that we have in you and the newness of life that you bring to our lives. Lord, whatever our condition, you know us, and you have the power, a resurrection power, to do for us exactly what we need. So would you meet us here today? Would you make yourself known to us in a fresh way this morning? Today, may we be confronted by a risen Savior. And as a result, may we never be the same. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. We're so happy to be with you wherever you are. We hope you're blessed and ready to worship God. Would you sing with us? He is risen, first of all. Uh, He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Would you sing with us Revelation song?
As we celebrate today that the tomb is empty, our Easter passage will be in Matthew 28, so read along with me. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. 
there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. He is risen. Happy Easter. So good to celebrate our risen King together today. And there's so much to celebrate, so many things we could focus on in this beautiful passage. And what I want to do is focus on the words of the risen King himself in verses 18 and 20, these very encouraging truths. Three specific realities I want to talk about this morning. First, I want to talk about the authority of our risen King. Second, I want to talk about the calling of our risen King. And then thirdly, I want to talk about the promise of our risen King. And I hope that you are encouraged this morning by these realities. So first, let's look at the authority of our risen King, Jesus. Jesus says it himself in verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I know we're familiar with this, this idea, but it's, it's pretty remarkable that there was a carpenter from Nazareth. There was a traveling rabbi, just an ordinary guy in the first century, and he has now been given all authority over the entire universe. And we celebrate that today, the authority of our king. And what I love is you see his authority playing out even in the resurrection account itself. You see, first and foremost, his authority over death, right? In verse 5 and 6, we get the, the heart of the angel's message to the women. You're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He has risen. And that, of course, is the central hope of Easter's, that our king has conquered death. And has, as he himself says in Revelation, when he says, I now hold the keys to death in Hades, which means he owns the place now. It doesn't own him. He owns it. Um, he's in charge of death. And should we ever find ourselves in death, he has the keys to get us out and give us resurrection life. And so we celebrate his authority over death today. But that's not all we celebrate. We celebrate uh, his, his authority over sin and guilt and shame. And there's this beautiful detail in this account that, that's easy to pass over, but it's something that Jesus first says to the women, right? So he meets the women uh, in the garden, and they had, for the most part, been pretty faithful to him in his final days. They were there at the cross. 
They were there to embalm his body. They were coming back today after the Sabbath. But he sends them to the men uh, who hadn't been so faithful in those final days, right? These are men who had deserted him, had abandoned him, even betrayed him. But he sends the women with this wonderful greeting. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my, and here's the word, brothers, to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Go and tell my brothers. Interesting that the angel said to them, go and tell his disciples. But Jesus says, no, go and tell my brothers. And I think there's so much in that. And, and I'm, you know, imagine those last three days for those men had not only been days of, of profound grief and loss, but they'd also been profound days of, of, of shame, of guilt, of remorse for having totally abandoned their Lord. You think of Peter who had denied even knowing Jesus three times. And so I can imagine when the women came to the men and said this thing, I imagine the men saying, wait, what did he, what did he say specifically? Did he actually use that word brother? Did he specifically say brother? Because in that word, there is, there is forgiveness. There is the gospel. There is the risen king saying, hey, even in spite of what you did, we're still family. I still love you. You're forgiven. And he can say that obviously because of what he did on the cross, that he paid the penalty for the sins of the world, including their sins. And so he emerges from the tomb with authority over sin and guilt and shame with forgiveness on his lips. And the beauty is that the risen Christ still has authority over sin today. And if he declares us brothers and sisters, if he declares us forgiven, that is that voice of his is more authoritative than any other voice that we might hear on our own minds. Voices that say, you're not enough. Voices that say, you're not forgiven, or you're unlovable, or you're irredeemable. His voice carries authority because of what he did on the cross and what he did at the resurrection. So he has authority over sin. And then finally, he also has authority over the worldly rulers of the kingdoms of this age. Um, I love the detail in verse four, the story about the guards. And I don't know if these are Roman guards or if these are just uh, Jewish guards, you know, sent by the Jewish authorities, or maybe they're Roman guards sent by the Jewish authorities, but they represent the powers of the day, right? There's several men who are strong and they're, they're guarding the tomb. And yet I love this description. The angel rolls back the stone with an earthquake and it says, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead man. And I think Matthew writes that with a comic irony. Here you have a dead man in a tomb. And by the end of the story, he is alive and gone. And these living guards are like dead men. But it's this beautiful picture that, that Jesus has authority over the worldly kingdoms, over the worldly powers and rulers of this age. All right. So all that to say, Jesus, our risen King, has authority. He has authority over death. He has over authority over sin. He has authority over the worldly kingdoms of this age. And, and I just want to say, what an encouragement after the year we've been through, right? I mean, we have felt some of these realities unlike any other year. We've been confronted with the reality of death. We've thought about death, maybe more than ever. We're seeing numbers of people dying, and it's fresh in our minds more than ever. How encouraging to know that we have a king who has authority over death. And we've been confronted with the reality of sin. 
I think unlike any other year, we look out at our world, at our nation, our society, and we just see so many examples of sin and anger and division. And if we're honest and we look inside ourselves, we've seen a lot of examples of sin running amok in our own hearts. We probably haven't been the best version of ourselves this year, many of us. And so how encouraging to know that Jesus has authority over sin and guilt. And then finally, we have been confronted with the reality of earthly kingdoms unlike any other year, with the reality of presidents and politicians and, and governments and, and organizations and, and companies and, and nations. And yet in the midst of all that, we have this king who is sovereign over it all. As the song says, he's got the whole world in his hands, the carpenter from Nazareth, and he's got us in his hands. And even in spite of all that's going on, his, his kingdom will come in its way and in its time. It is a guarantee because he's been given authority over it all. So encouraging. Okay, so first, that's the king's authority. Second, let's look at the king's calling. And this is really the heart of what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Okay, that's a long sentence. There's a lot there. So let me simplify it a little bit. Uh, in this sentence, in the original language, in the Greek, there's only one word that actually is in the command form, and all the other words are participles that kind of hang off of that, that word. So the, the one central command that we're going to focus on is this command to make disciples. Go and, here's the command, make disciples. And of course, this is spoken in a first century context where at that time in Israel, you would have these wandering rabbis and you'd have their followers who are known as disciples. And so there's different words we can use for disciples. We can think of them as students or followers, but I think the most helpful modern word would be the word apprentice, okay? So I want you to think of, when you think of the word apprentice, um, what do we think about? We usually think about someone who's learning a trade, right? So let's use carpentry since it's the holiest of trades, since that was Jesus' trade. Um, but in when you learn a trade, there's a master and there's an apprentice. And, and really the, the role of the apprentice is to be with the master, to learn from the master, to imitate the master, right? And, and you, it's not so much classroom learning, it's more on-the-job training where you, you spend time and you watch and you listen, and you copy, and you repeat, right? You, you learn how he thinks about a project from start to finish. You learn how he makes a, a cut on a piece of wood. You learn how he builds a foundation. You watch the master, and you imitate him. And really, that's what these 11 disciples had been doing for three years. They'd been following Jesus around, watching him, imitating him, only they weren't learning a specific trade or skill, right? They were learning how to live life in the kingdom of God. And so essentially the risen Christ says, okay, you've been doing that for three years. Now I want you to turn around and help others do the same thing. I want you to model that life for them. I want you to teach them. I want you to train them. As he says in verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now that's a lot. It's a, it's a comprehensive life that they're being called to invite people into. And what's really interesting that I hadn't really thought much about until this week is where this conversation takes place. It takes place in Galilee, and Matthew seems to 
really want to stress that. In verse 7, the angel says, go ahead into Galilee. In verse 10, Jesus says, tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And then in verse 16, it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So they're not in Jerusalem anymore. They go back to where it all began, back to where he first called them, where he first trained them. Not only that, it says in verse 16, they went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, where is the mountain in Galilee that we know? Well, most likely it's where he gave his first great kingdom sermon, the Sermon on the Mountain, the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee. And so I think what he's doing is he's he's calling them back to the beginning. He's calling them back to their roots and where the journey began. And he's saying, remember this, this kingdom way of life that I've been teaching you? Remember these kingdom postures? We looked at this this year, these kingdom postures we call the Beatitudes of postures of humility, of poverty of spirit, of, of purity of heart, of peacemaking. He talked about this this goodness that is not just an external conformity to rules, but it is a deep down heart goodness. He talked about living for an audience of one, not caring what other people think of us, but simply living for the joy of our heavenly father. He talked about what treasures do we seek? Are we seeking all the treasures of this world or are we seeking first the kingdom of God? And so I think he's bringing them back to that saying, remember all of that. This is the life that I've called you into. And now, I want you to call others into that same way of life. I want you to model it. I want you to teach it. I want you to go and make disciples. And this is how the risen Christ's kingdom spreads today. People who are learning to follow Jesus invite others to follow Jesus with them. It's not rocket science. It's simple. It's challenging, but it's actually quite simple. And he says, go and make disciples. And that word go is actually the word going. So it can be translated go. And for many people, it will mean that. Go out, move out, and and make disciples. And people will be called to move out, to go to different places, different countries even, to go and spread the gospel. But going can also be translated simply as, as you go, make disciples. And some people will be called to that not only as you go to other nations, but as you go across the street, (laughs) make disciples, as you go into work, as you go into a restaurant, as you go into even your home and your family, as you live your life, go and make disciples. Model this kingdom life and simply invite people into this life that you yourself are learning to live. And so on Easter, it's always good just to stop for a moment and think, who are those people that God has placed in my life? As I'm going through my life, who are those people that that God is inviting me to invite them into this journey with Jesus? All right, so first we have the authority of the risen Christ, then we have the calling of the risen Christ. And finally, and I think most encouragingly, we have the promise of the risen Christ. And before I read the promise, you probably already know what it is, um, I want to suggest We all need to hear this promise this year. The reason is we're anxious and fearful people. I mean, for the most part, we're anxious and fearful people. And if you're not generally an anxious and fearful person, I think hearing this calling to go and make disciples probably fills all of us with a a level, at least anxiety or maybe insecurity or maybe not feeling like we've we've got what it takes to do that. And I, I love the description of the disciples in this passage. 
um, in this regard. I love the description of the, the women in verse eight. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. They're this mixture of fear and joy. And then I love the description of the men in this passage in verse 17. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So even in that moment, they're this mixture of, of worship, but, but doubt and like, is this really true? Can this really be happening? And I just think, what, what a perfect description of us today, right? We're this complex combination of, of fear and joy, of worship and doubt. That's who we are, isn't it? And the older I get, the more I realize, you know, those are the only kinds of disciples that Jesus has. <laughs> those are the only kinds that he has. It's that, that, that mixture of, of all these things. And yet he's entrusted this kingdom mission to us. And I think, wow, that's amazing. You've entrusted this to such imperfect people. But he sends us off with this promise. And here's the promise we need to hear at the end of verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It is this beautiful promise. I have been given all authority and I am with you. And this is really the great hope of Easter, not just that we have a risen Savior, but that we have a risen Savior who is with us in the ups and downs of this journey we're on. And as you read Acts, as you watch the way this story unfolds for these 11 men and the, and the women, we're going to see that he's going to be with them through the presence of his Holy Spirit. That his Holy Spirit's going to come on them, uh, and he's going to fulfill this promise to be with them. And he's going to work powerfully through these men and women to really change the world. Um, and his presence with them isn't going to prevent things like challenges and, and setbacks and disappointments, even suffering, even death for them. But his presence with them will always mean joy, comfort, and a sense of meaning and purpose and hope and even power. Power even in the setbacks and the challenges and even the failures and the mess-ups. His powerful presence with them every day. And this story continues today in our own lives. We have the risen Christ who is with his people, partnering with them to further his kingdom in this world. And you know, I, I want to kind of finish, but I've been thinking a lot about this really over the last couple of years is how do I live this promise? How do I live this with you life? How, how do I spend my days with Jesus, the risen Christ, as my constant companion throughout the moments of my days? Like, how do I actually practice his presence? And I want to invite you to consider that this Easter. How, how do you practice the presence of the risen Christ with you? How do you practice that presence right now as you are sitting in your home or in, in a yard? How do you practice the presence of the risen Christ with you in this moment? How do you practice that as you go into a meeting at work tomorrow and you're sitting with people discussing things related to your work? How do you practice the presence of the risen Christ? As you come home at the end of the day, as you engage your roommates or your spouse or your children, as you step into a conversation across the street with one of your friends or neighbors, how do you practice the presence of the one who has done two things, who has died, 
which means the one who knows suffering, he knows grief, he knows challenges, which means he can empathize with you whatever you're going through. But secondly, he has risen, which means he has authority over every circumstance you'll ever find yourself. And he has authority over your workplace. He has authority over your home. He has authority over your neighborhood. And so the question is, how do I practice the presence of someone who is like that for me? And as I've been doing that, here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that that on my own, I can't do a lot of great things. <laughs> I really, I, I can't do very many fruitful things on my own. But what I'm learning is that that me and Jesus together can walk into any situation. Like that I can truly step into anything because he is with me. And if he's with me, then I can kind of face anything that life can throw at me. And I've learned, you know, as I'm getting older, for years, this is just being personal, I have in some ways longed to be a different kind of person. And for me, I've longed to be what, what I would describe as a more powerful person or um, a more confident person, a more self-sufficient person, a more capable person. And I've lived with this, this restless drive to want to be that. And what I'm learning more and more is really that is not the gospel at all. The, the gospel is not you can be the best version of yourself. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. You have the risen Christ with you every moment of your life. And so the journey of faith is not the journey of how to become a more powerful or more self-sufficient person. It's actually the journey of how to become more trusting, more dependent, more utterly convinced that Jesus is with me in this moment right now and that he will provide, he will provide everything I need to walk through this moment. And the truth is, what I'm learning is, is that trusting dependent life actually is powerful. It's very powerful. But the power doesn't come from us. The power comes from the risen Christ who is with us. We are, to quote Paul, we are these jars of clay. We're fragile and, and broken, but through these cracks, his power shines through us. And the, the power of his forgiveness and his authority shines through us as we simply depend on his presence with us every moment of our lives. That's the journey. So as Mark said at the beginning, I want to invite you to consider how can we practice resurrection in this season of our lives? How do we be people who fix our eyes on the risen Christ, on his authority, on his love and his grace in our lives and step into the calling that he's given us, trusting in his presence, trusting that he will provide everything we need to accomplish his mission for us. Let's practice resurrection. Happy Easter. There was a moment when the lights went out when death had claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on the 
his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turned his face toward you and gave you peace. Amen. Well, we hope you've been encouraged by our time together, and we hope you enjoy a blessed Easter. Let me close our time with this benediction from 1 Corinthians. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Happy Resurrection Sunday, you guys.